This podcast is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at aspirus.co, A-S-P-I-R-U-S.co. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. Hi, Grace. Hi, Bernard. How are you doing? Fine. Nice day. Yes. And I'm having Grace Chung, Senior Correspondent, The Straits Times, under the SPH Group, and they are the largest print media in Singapore. I think so regionally as well. Yes, yeah. One important thing I do have to know that if you are any tech company in the region, and any multinational corporation, you will need to talk to Grace Chung, because she's the person to talk to, and she's the person to cover this entire sector. So... Grace, it's great that you're on the show, so I want to ask you my first question. How did you get started in journalism? You know, when I went, I finished school, I really didn't know what to do. I thought I was going to be one of those people who just waded into university and then into a job after graduation. But fortunately for me, while I was in university, I had friends who were mature students who had taken mass communications as a part-time and then had come in to do their final year. So they were print journalists and radio journalists, and so they became friends, and they talked to me about their work, and I liked what they are doing, so I decided that why not I should try journalism as a career. So that's where I am. One interesting thing I know is that you have, as your role in journalism, covering tech and business, you have actually interviewed very important business leaders in Singapore, and also from startups to multinational. So one thing I wanted to ask is what are the interesting career lessons you have learned that you can share with us? It's quite interesting. I mean, small bits and pieces of information I pick up along the way. From the tech pioneer Andy Grove, who just died earlier last week, his book, Only the Paranoid Survive, taught me a lesson. No matter how successful you are today, tomorrow is a brand new day and you can be gobbled up by somebody else. So even as a journalist, you have to continually remake yourself to ensure that you remain fresh and up-to-date. When I was editing a magazine, I had to ask myself every year. So I fast, thinking about what I wanted to do and what new things I can do to make it different from the previous year, to make it different from the last issue. So this year, I'm focusing, although I've covered startups, innovation, entrepreneurship for the last three, four years, I what I want to do is to focus more on digital business transformation. And that would also take in the high-tech startups. Currently, as the senior correspondent for Straits Times covering technology what are your areas of coverage and also I I know that you are always going to the CES and all the big conventions all over the world so would you like to share well I meet Startups, at least founder, entrepreneur, or an investor, at least one to two a week. So that lets me gain a pulse on the startup ecosystem. It tells me who are in town, what are people interested in, and what they are doing. So I think meeting new new contacts is very important. But I think more than meeting the people, I think you need to go out in the world to see what is happening. So... CES Consumer Electronics Show in uh, Las Vegas is, uh, if, you're consu- if you're covering consumer electronics, I think you should go. But even if you're covering business tech or business journalism, you should go there because today technology is not just about fancy, cool, gleaming gadgets. Technology is also becoming 
important now daily lives, you know, in telemedicine, in autonomous cars. So, you know, you should really need to go out and see what's happening in the rest of the world. And which comes to a very interesting conversation we're going to have today. And before that conversation, I have to make a full disclosure. My co- the company that I'm currently working for is actually invested by the company we're going to talk about, Singtel. <coughs> and uh, whatever we're going to be talking about is actually public information. And I think I'll basically will be asking questions. So in most of the podcast episodes, I think if you have heard the episodes with Smitty on the OTT market, you will hear a, a company called Singtel. I mean, in fact, not just in that episode, in episodes to deal with startups, they're actually a very well-known venture mm-hmm. capital firm called Singtel <coughs> Innovate. And also Optus in Australia is owned 100% by Singtel. So who is Singtel? It turns out that the Singtel Group is or Singapore Telecommunications Limited is the company that is actually driving all that. So I think I'm going to start with a very quick introduction. The Singtel Group was founded since 1879, IPO in 1992. It was actually originally a government agency. Its current mobile subscriber base is of 500 million customers within its own operations and together with all the regional associates. They were listed in SGX and Australia Stock Exchange. Running revenue is 17.2 billion and profit of 3.8 billion in March 2015, that's last year, and has a market cap of 60.9 billion dated on 29 March 2016. And if you want to have a comparison, SoftBank's uh, market cap is about 80 billion. So this is a pretty interesting and it's a subsidiary of Tamasic Holdings, which is a well-known Singapore sovereign wealth fund. So Grace, I thought maybe I want to start off with the history of Singtel because I think you are probably one of the few fortunate people who gets to interview the group CEO of Singtel. So how did Singtel evolve from a government agency to a multinational corporation across the globe? Well, Singtel, you know, started, it's more than 100 years old. It started as a PTT, post telephone and telegraph company. You don't hear about it anymore because today that term has been relegated to the history books as most telcos, as most PTTs have evolved into telcos and privately and publicly listed companies. So when they were listed in 1992, they were first corporatized. So they were a government agency that went through corporatization. They hived off the commercial bits into what is known as Singtel, and then the rest became Telecom Authority Singapore. So Telecom Authority Singapore doesn't exist today. It is part of the Infocom Development Authority, which then this particular agency looks after both the IT and the telco sectors and industries. So Singtel, their current numbers, mobile subscription is actually near 600 million across three continents. You know, Africa, India, Australia, and of course, Southeast Asia, yeah? So that, I think that they are really, really large. Really very early in their history, after they were listed, they started acquiring, or not acquiring, but investing in telcos around the three continents. First venturing into Philippines and in Indonesia, and then further out into Australia, and then into India. And through their Indian subsidiary associate, they invested in Africa. So their footprint is really, really large. Don't forget also that they bought the national NCS, which is the... Uh, systems integration arm uh, used to be the systems integration arm of the government and uh, they, when they bought that, suddenly they had an SI arm which now allows them to do SI work in their corporate 
business work. So that, in fact, gives them a lot, lot more leverage than any other telco. What are the long-term goals of the Singtel Group and what is their vision or mission as a corporate entity? Well, obviously, they want to be the most dominant telco in Asia, except out of China. Yeah, But they really want to be a multimedia company. You know, they are in so many new businesses, uh, whether, first of course, they have their lands, they inherited from the government uh, already a very comprehensive infrastructure. And as they went along, they have poured billions into building this infrastructure. They were first into 2G, the first in 3G, 4G, and now they're even looking at 5G. So, you know, they are really moving ahead in terms of technology. They knew very well from the late 90s with the arrival of the internet that landlines and uh, telco infrastructure will become dump pipes. They don't like to call them dump pipes, but in reality, they know that the the pipes will just become commodity, and so they have to build on top of it. So hence, they touched a little bit on content creation in the 1990s, but content creation never really worked out for them. And so they went into other types where they became carriers of content. So you have pay TV, you have OTT kinds of services, where they now have Hook, right, which is in Philippines, Thailand, and soon Indonesia. They now they carry Netflix on their pipes, and then they now begin to monetize their 600 million mobile subscribers by doing digital advertising, mobile digital advertising. So their long-term goal is they don't want only to be a carrier, they also want to be a multimedia company. So what they do is they invest in areas which strengthens their core and also gives them new revenue channels. So digital advertising, for example, gives them new revenue channels. Pay TV gives them a new revenue channel, for example. And they are aggressive. They will invest where they see a need to, and they are patient. So, for example, there are investments in telecom cell in Indonesia. In late 1990s, 2000, you know, Indonesia was considered a basket case, and nobody wanted to, to invest in Indonesia. So they went in, KPN of Netherlands, which is a telco-related company, sold the share to Singtel, and they ran out, and Singtel slowly built the tele density because they know that a country like Indonesia with so much land, so many people, they will need telco facilities and so they stay in the game and now today their associates, their regional associates actually contribute quite a lot of revenue to the Singtel's bottom line. So I just want to help my audience is that Telcomsel is the largest telco in Indonesia with a population of 272 million population. So that's the kind of footprint that Singtel actually has even in Indonesia itself. With a big group like that, the most important thing is about people. And who are the key executives in the Singtel group? Well, they have a very deep bench and any of their senior or or execs in their management committee could become CEOs of any other company. So they are divided into three or four business groups. So you have group consumer, which is in consumer, mobile, even online businesses like Hungry Goware, which is an online uh, restaurant review. Then you have group enterprise, which takes into account all the businesses, all the business telco business. Then you have Group Digital Life, which is digital advertising, uh, OTT, uh, as well as 
the investments in the startup community. Then they have international operations, which then looks after all the regional associates. So in each of them, they have, a, of course, you know, they have a group CEO, uh, Ms. Chua Sukung, who then oversees all of these businesses. And she's an accountant and chartered financial analyst, so she's really, really on top of the business and she knows the numbers really well. These four or three or four guys who run the business are really hands-on. They travel hell of a lot because of their footprint. I often see them with uh, circles around their eyes, but they do travel and they are really on top and they're aggressive. They take no prisoners. Just to so understand, uh, I think the current group CEO was also a former CFO. She was a former CFO. She joined Singtel, I think, two two in the early 2000s. And she became CFO. And then I think became she took over the international operations, mm-hmm. uh, which was everything, the regional subsidiaries and everything. And then when the previous CEO, uh, Lee Sen Yang, left, you know, she assumed the position. She has come at a time when Singtel comes under many challenges, you know, uh, of which changing technology is one and uh, changing customer expectations is another, you know, in this very fast-moving tech space. Other than her, what about the business leaders that are driving those three core businesses that you're talking about? Who are they? So you have Moon Group consumer business he actually just to to go back one step all of them all the four business heads have experience doing regional work so moon had been working in indonesia and telecom cell for a bit and then he takes the experience and comes back to singapore to head the consumer business <clears throat> and he really drives the mobile business bill chang joined uh, singtel probably like five six years ago he was asean head of cisco network so he brings again that regional experience that corporate experience how to manage businesses organizations so the group consumer is about over two billion dollars sing dollar business the uh, group enterprise business is about 1.7 billion dollar business it tends to be growing a little bit faster because it now has other services like cybersecurity. So that is a very large portion or growing to be a large portion. So when they bought Trustwave last year, which is a cybersecurity company in the US, they bought it last year and by the last quarter of 2015, they were able to report contributions from Trustwave already, which means that they really integrated the company into into Singtel very, very quickly and very seamlessly. And they added with and Trustwave added three percent to the, the company so in the last quarter so that, that that is good. So in Group Digital Life you have Samba Natarajan who was appointed in the last six to ten months and he runs Group Digital Life. So it's all of the new businesses that Singtel is in, which is the digital advertising, which is in the OTT business, uh, as well as the startup investment community. Then leading Australia is an old hand, old Singtel hand, Alan Liu. Many, many years running Singapore, Singtel Singapore, as well as in Australia and Thailand. He has the magic touch. So when Australia wasn't doing really well in the last year or 18 months ago, Alan was dispatched. And now Australia is up again. It has gained market share. It has gained uh, not only, of course, revenue, market share, and then, of course, uh, more customers. So Singtel has a really deep band. Executives who know the business, executives who have been around and know how to run companies and 
to to get revenue. Unlike some domestic telcos where they actually the, their own country is actually the only market, Singtel actually has ownerships in other telcos within the region. I think most notably is 100% ownership of Optus in Australia, 32.15% of Bharti Airtel, the largest carrier in India. How do they synergize with these regional players in their respective markets? I'm sure I have left out some of the other telcos that they are also invested in, like for example, Telcom Cell as well. How do, how do they actually do those synergies with these other telcos? So, the international operations, which is headed by Mark Chong, he travels quite a bit and he keeps in touch with all the regional subsidiaries. The synergy comes from how they learn from each other because these different associates are at different levels of development at the moment. So for example, in Thailand, they are just only have 3G, you know, and slowly moving into 4G. So they learn how to transition from the old technology to the new technology. They also learn from how they acquire customers. I think that's very important. They also learn how to package their products and services. But more importantly, the 600 million footprint that they have becomes a huge customer base for anyone who wants to do business in, in this part of the world. So if you have a product that you want to sell across this region, then Singtel is an obvious vendor to go to, obvious company to go to because 600 million people. AMOB, which is an American company, which they bought for 300 over million dollars three, four years ago to springboard Singtel into the mobile digital advertising world. And that is now beginning to see revenue for Singtel. So when you have 600 million customers across the region, you can now you know, take customers' advertisers and say, hey, P&G, you have a shampoo to sell throughout all this region. Come and be my customer. I can do advertising for you. Or P&G, you only want India? I will do India for you because I can now segmentize as well. So this is how they synergize in managing the products and services and associates and also in leveraging the strength of all the regional subsidiaries for business. It just uh, comes to my head. I think they actually invested in Maxis in Malaysia mm. and AIS in Thailand. That's right. Philippines. Globe. Globe in Philippines. So they almost have footprint in almost every telco in Asia? The, through Bharti Airtel, they are in Africa as well because Bharti Airtel invested in some telcos in Africa. So actually that's why they say they are in three continents, mm-hmm. Africa, India, Australia and then Southeast Asia. Singtel is based in Singapore and I think one of the most interesting things that actually happened actually I want to ask is what are the types of companies they have invested in? Before I answer that question, Singtel has two pools of money, right? So one pool of money is a $2 billion fund that they have to go out and buy companies. So Trustwave and AMOB, came, uh, the money came out from this $2 billion. They're in no hurry to buy. They're always on the lookout to buy companies that will fit with their business model. So Trustwave and AMOB now runs. They're quite successful. And I think if they were to, to buy any other company, it would either be in cybersecurity or digital advertising or in the digital arena. The other pool of money is their corporate venture, which is Innovate. US $250 million started five, six years ago. You know, they have 55 investing companies today. They invest around the world. 
they're looking at obviously high-tech companies, mostly in the digital realm, ICT, infotech and communications area. You know, out of 55 companies, they've exited 13, 15 companies, which is remarkable for a short life of five, five to six years. According to Odap Research, which is a startup research company based out of Hong Kong, it says that it has generated something like 15 times average of whatever they've invested in. They don't say, they don't disclose how much they have made, but they have made enough to keep the fund going because to date they have invested US $200 million. So that means they've got $50 million, but whatever they've exited, you know, they have brought back. So some of the large companies that people may know is in Singapore, the largest was Vicky which was $200 million reportedly sold to Rakuten. They had a share in that. Then their biggest IPO was Arista, which is a network company that listed in NASDAQ. And that company on opening day, you know, the company was worth something like $3 billion already. So they are pretty successful. I think they, they are, of course, failures. Sengta won't tell you who they, those are. But even the failures are successes for them in the sense that they learn from those failures. Uh, what happened to the companies? Was it right time, right place, or right technology, wrong time? Or is it that the founders, entrepreneurs are, you know, I'm making $15 million, I'm, I'm quite happy with this, and we are profitable. So it depends, but they, they are very focused that they invest because they want to see what is new out there in the world what they can do, what they can use for their own technology, how they can assimilate and gain new revenue channels. And the other big aim is to grow the startup ecosystem. So in Singapore, they were one of the first. They went into Block 71 when Block 71 was still a very young, what I would call HQ for Singapore startups. They opened a co-working space there and it has been very successful. Now they have, together with NUS Enterprise, the other organization from the National University of Singapore who helps their students in startup ventures. So it's called NUS Enterprise. So Innovate and NUS Enterprise have gone to San Francisco to open Block 71 San Francisco. So they're actually now in Silicon Valley. So they have always been in Silicon Valley because they have offices in Silicon Valley, Israel, Australia, I think, and, and Singapore. So they are global. Their people travel all the time. They know what is happening. They have their ears quite close to the ground and they are looking to actually help grow the ecosystem. With such a massive growth for them, evolving from a small telco now to really a big multinational corporation, where do you see the same telco evolving towards? They will want to become a dominant telco. I think that is their aim. They, they will not move from there. But they know they have to look for new revenue streams. So I think Group Digital Alliance will continue to grow very quickly. Amobi is contributing over 100 million today. And, you know, a matter of time before Hook, their OTT service, and the rest of their digital investments will also um, uh, contribute to their bottom line. So any investments I think that they will make will be in these two areas where it will strengthen their core and bring in new revenue channels. So I think they will develop, they will invest in new digital companies. Their innovate is only for them to see what's happening and give them insights into new technologies that's happening. They will not necessarily 
buy out an entire company. That is not the function of a venture fund, but they will then see what is available out there and then see what they can they can do. But you know, they have to be aware because there are non telco companies who are becoming competitors. Netflix is an example. Viber, WhatsApp are non-telco companies. Uh, They are coming in and they are riding on top of the infrastructure, benefiting from it, and the telco gets nothing. So they have to find ways on how they want to monetize that. So I think cybersecurity is going to be a huge area for them. It is an area where every organization is concerned about. And so with their global network, they can see what is traveling across their networks. And so they are in a very good position to do that. Later this year, they will open a cyber range where companies can go and test and simulate attacks. As I say, the challenge for them is changing technologies. And I guess that if you were to go into each of the core businesses, it itself is a podcast episode by itself. So Grace, I I thank you so much for helping me to even understand the Singtel Group as a whole. So help my audience. How do they find you? Yeah, you can find me on my Facebook. Grace Chung, uh, you can find me on, on LinkedIn as well, and my email. So anytime you like, you can send me an email and uh, be happy to uh, chat digitally. Thank you, Grace. You can find me at bernardleong.com or bleongcw. You can subscribe to us at Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E-A-S-I-A. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Acast. And of course, drop me a tweet. And if you can, whenever you go to Product Hunt, upload us there and also leave a comment on our iTunes store. So once again, Grace, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, Bernard.